Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I'm really excited to welcome to this episode of the podcast Gillian McNally. She has 26 years experience in educational theater at all the different levels and is currently at the University of Northern Colorado. Um, Gillian, welcome to the show. Uh, Introduce Thank yourself you. and just kind of share your your story of where where this all began and how it got how you got to where you are now. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, Jimmy. So yeah, I'm Gilly McNally. I teach at the University of Northern Colorado. I'm a professor of theater education there, and I teach undergraduate and graduate level students. We have uh, two programs: one undergraduate, one graduate. And that is an exciting challenge that keeps us very, very busy. So we have a K through 12 licensure program and then a follow-up master's degree that is low residency. It's a really exciting program because it's online during the school year. So it it was created specifically for full-time working teachers um, because it's it's a lot of work to work full-time and then go to grad school on top of it. Um, So we're online during the school year and then you come to UNC in Greeley, Colorado for Three weeks during the summer where we have more hands-on classes um, so that's what keeps me busy at UNC for our grad program for our undergrad program um, something that makes our program unique is that I started a theater for young audiences program and uh, every year we either tour or perform a play for young people in our community this year we are performing a play called all smiles which is being co-produced with the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. It is opening this week. And what's really thrilling and just heartfelt to me is one of my former students, one of the first students I had at UNC is um, the main divisor and creator of the piece. So she's creating at the Alliance and then she'll come back to UNC, back to her old stomping grounds and uh, direct the show for us here. And then in the month of April, isn't that so cool? Like when your students do cool things, um, that's the payoff. That's, that's where all the hard work really pays off. And she, Sam Provenzano is her name and she could not be a kinder, more brilliant artist. And I saw it in her when she was 18 and now here she is a big grown up, and she's a full-time teaching artist at, at the Alliance and she'll be coming back to us this spring to direct. So that's an exciting project we have. Um, and other plays we've done in the past, we've done, I've directed Holes, I've directed Bocon, we've done a lot of bilingual theater for young audiences. Um, last year we did Aquila and the Bee, and next year we'll be doing Susical the Musical. So um, we've also done Frog and Toad, a year with Frog and Toad. So we try to find a really uh, large, diverse um, body of work that really plays to the intelligence of young people. That's really one of my areas of focus is how do we find theater for young audiences that um, speaks to their top of their intelligence. So a few years ago, well, in 2020, but then in 2021, (laughs) um, reproduced a play called Blue. So it's theater for the very young, which means it's for children ages zero to five. Mm. And it was a play that explored the themes of racism and prejudice and really asks young people to think about some of those tough themes. So normally most people don't think about doing plays about racism with preschool students, but but we did and we created some great workshops for it. And um, I did a research study on it that was just published, which is really exciting. And now I'm beginning a new research study on theater for the very young. This time we're gonna look at how can our play All Smiles be a springboard and hopefully an inspiration to inspire more creativity and imagination for early childhood educators. So that's the research I'm diving into um, this spring, and I'm really excited. That's really cool. That's really cool. Well, I want to dig into a lot of those, a lot of those things. Um, But where did all this begin for you? Well, I was kind of born into theater. My parents met 
um, doing a play and they met at a bar <laughs> afterwards. My mom was on a piano smoking a cigar. She was an actress. My dad was an actor. Um, they were cast as Laura and the Gentleman Caller in um, Glass Menagerie. And um, so they're both theater professionals. My mom was a high school theater teacher. My dad was a college professor. Uh, we actually had the pleasure of working together at UNC. He um, was head of acting for many, many years and was the chair of the department for a while at the University of Northern Colorado. And he just retired in 2017. And now he's full-time grandpa, which is really exciting. So I was kind of born into the theater world and was dragged along. <laughs> My parents kept saying, don't do theater. And then they're like, come on, get in the car. We're going to rehearsal. So I was uh, I was in rehearsals, school during the day and rehearsals at night and was bitten by the theater bug at a very, very young age. Uh, got to begin some of their shows. Um, and then I ended up getting my BFA in acting at uh, Webster Conservatory. And I really got interested in directing there. So I actually came from an actor-director place first. And then I started teaching. I was a teaching artist while I was in Chicago. And I just thought it was so much more fun to work with kids than adults. Sorry, adults, but kids are just way more fun. <laughs> and um, I just, their imagination and the way that they see the world is so innocent and clear and without bias or preconceptions or this nasty notion that Shakespeare's the best. And that, like kids are just open and they're, they live in imagined worlds. It's how they learn and they see possibilities that grownups don't. And I love the space of working with very young people because they will go on a ride with you or they will come up with the most creative solutions. I do a lot of devising work and just where their brain goes <laughs> just boggles my mind and keeps me I'd say in my life, the most present I am is when I'm teaching young people. Um, I just love hearing what their thoughts are. I do a lot of social justice work, and um, I worked as a teaching artist. So I was, I was teaching artist for 10 years before I taught at a, um, at a university full-time. And I worked, um, I did a lot of contract work and a lot of work with um, students who oftentimes don't have a lot of access to theater. And that was really my passion. Um, my After graduate school, I went to University of Texas at Austin. I got my MFA in drama and theater for youth and communities. And then I was hired full-time as a teaching artist at People's Light and Theater out near Philadelphia. And we did work um, that was multiracial and um, multi-socioeconomic. So People's Light was in a very white, wealthy suburb. And we created a lot of theater uh, with students from the city of Chester, which is... Um, an underserved low-income community um, in Pennsylvania. Sadly, it's um, often on the list of highest homicides in the United States. And we created some of the most meaningful work of my career um, with both populations, both the suburban population and also um, the kids of Chester. And it, I learned so much as a theater artist, but more as a human being. Um, it pushed me be in communities where I had never been before. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about our country and the inequities. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things made me pretty angry. And I try to use now my theater work. I do a lot of work by Augusta Bawal, Theater of the Oppressed work. I try to do a lot of that work with my students now. Um, because if, if we're angry about something, how can we use our art to address it? And that's, that's definitely the thrust of my career. Um, I am, I think you're like my, my theater ed sister across <laughs> the country that I didn't know I had. No, this is, this sounds awesome. And I, I have such mad respect for, for folks who, whose wheelhouse and love are little ones. And yeah. I love yeah. teaching little ones and I love, I love the big kids and everyone in between. But like, yeah. I, I think it takes such wonderful gifted people to work with those kids and i agree with you they are fearless like they, right. they jump in and they will go on whatever journey you say and it, it's so yeah. much fun oh it's delightful so it seems like teaching was just like in the blood like from the beginning yeah. for you um as you as you look back at your 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 parents' influence on you and, and as you were coming through um, your own theater education journey growing up and into college, what, um, 
what were the big influences on you from those times? Um, you know, I think, um, okay. So I was in music, man. I played Amaryllis, Amaryllis, you know how, um, the one character has that lisp. Um, and I played Amaryllis in music, man. My mom was the director and, um, at Sheridan high school. And I was seven, um, learned to play a little piano. That was fun. Um, and I remember on closing night, just crying so hard because we had become a family and the thought of not being with those kids. I mean, they, I was seven, I guess, and the students were high school students, but they became like my brothers and sisters for those few months. And the thought of not seeing them every night and and doing something creative and fun. I was just crying at the thought of not having that in my life every day. And I would say that as I grew up, I think that's why so many people get involved with theater. I mean, theater as a career, if you're going to be a director, an actor, stage manager, whatever, is a really, really tough career. And that was not the right fit for me. But theater with youth, that sense of family. If you look at a lot of the studies, that's what kids will say. And always when I interview theater education students, why do you want to become a theater teacher? That's always what they say. I just felt like I was a part of a family. And if I can get on my soapbox for a moment and talk about in our world, in the United States, we are so disconnected. We are not a connected citizenry anymore for a whole bunch of reasons. That's probably another podcast. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. We don't have, we don't live with, by, and for community anymore in a lot of places. And schools and things like sports teams and theater organizations become our surrogate family. And when you look at both mental health for both adults and also for children, everything starts with connection. We are hardwired to be connected to other human beings and perhaps we need to journey into an imaginary world to feel that sense of connection so whether it's real or imagined i don't think our brain knows the difference the brain still feels that connection to other people and i think theater in tech week in particular but throughout the whole <laughs> rehearsal process you see the best and worst in people much like a family and we come through these really hard experiences. I think one of the things I love as a teacher, particularly the work I did before as a university professor that I did at People's Light and Theater, we saw the best and worst in our kids every day. It was a new adventure every day. And I don't know, I could get like choked up, but kids need someone who doesn't give up on them. And theater teachers, we don't give up. We stay in it. We see the potential in young people and we help them reach that potential. And that's, that's why I love doing it. I experienced it as a young person and now I'm fortunate enough to train teachers to create those experiences for young people. I still do try to teach every once in a while whenever I can. I'm a teaching artist at the Denver, at the, uh, Denver School of the Arts and I teach workshops here and there. And I just love that. Um, but we, we don't give up on young people and our young people, those are precious, precious spaces that we have. And to me, those are sacred spaces where we're yes. co-creating. I think one of the things that I talk about a lot in my research is that why theater education? Because it's like, why, why is there that connection? And I think we take risks, right? Because the scariest thing in the world is get up and talk mm -hmm. in front of other people. The number one fear over the fear of death is speaking in front of others. So we are automatically vulnerable we are telling stories and we are get up in, getting up in front of people. And that is a place of vulnerability. And in order to be fully vulnerable, you also have to be fully safe. So we create these really, really safe spaces where kids can take risks. And that's where the growth happens, right? Is that this is a little scary to do, like what Vygotsky talks about, right? Like um, your zone of proximal development, right? I have to do something that is both a part of me and also a little bit scary. And that space in between is the sacred space. Yep. And that's that's where I love making art, not 
I'm the boss, you do what I say, but in concert together, because I don't know, as the director or the teacher, I don't actually have all the answers. I need you, young five-year-old, 10-year-old, 20-year-old, I need you to collaborate with me fully to create the creative solution to this problem. And that place of like true democracy, Martin Buber talks about the I-thou, right? That true education happens when there isn't this hierarchy of who's the boss and who's the servant. But actually learning happens in a place where we are equals. Mm -hmm. And so I think the arts are a place where we, it is incredibly democratic and Yes, as adults, we come with skills and those kinds of things, and we have some of the answers, but we don't have all of the answers. And young people love it when you turn to them and go, I don't know, what do you think? What should we do? What do you think? What should the next part of this play be? What does it look like to you? Okay, let's build on that. And that improv term of yes and, we build on each other's, we accept and build on each other's ideas. That is a sacred space. And that's what I really, really love about this field. And I think I I was very lucky. I got to experience that as a young person um, because of the family I was born into. And now I hope to create those experiences for other young people. Well, I want to get into in just a moment um, about the devising work with 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 young kids. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, but first, I want to ask you, because you you you, you opened the door for me. Um, w in that sacred space that we have with our with our students. Um, what what do you do? And, and, and I, I would love to know just from a, a colleague, what do you, how do yeah. you help your, your, your teachers in training, um, learn to take care of themselves in that space? Mm. Um, because yeah. they are going to hear a lot of, of, of trauma. They're going to hear a lot of yeah. heartache and they're going to take that on. And how do we help them? And in those spaces, how do we help the kids? Um, yeah. not, not weigh us down to the point of burnout eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Burnout is huge. I just had my first sabbatical ever in my career. And um, I was really tired. And I think, you know, because of the pandemic, we're, we're all mm -hmm. tired and burnout. I, I'm excited and I'm inspired in this post pandemic, which I know we're not totally done with it, but whatever this next stage is of the pandemic, I think we're having really for the first time some really healthy conversations about how do we take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I was inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement and the um, activists from our theater community, the We See You White Theater document that was created going, every other place works five days a week. Why do we work six days a week? Hmm. It's not healthy. Like that one day off is not enough time to get my laundry done and grocery shopping and all of that. And rest and do something fun you know that's that's not healthy and we're not gonna last if we keep doing that right so um I, I think we're in an exciting new chapter i'm also really inspired in some of the work that i'm doing i'm an adoptive parent and as that i have gone to a lot of trauma trainings for adoptive parents and i'm in these trainings and i'm like oh my gosh why didn't i ever learn any of this as a teacher <laughs> So I'm trying to practice some of those trauma-informed ideas with my students. Um, I do, at the beginning of class, a lot of, like, breathing, just like I can tell on their faces. Today's a day we need to start with some breathing. I'll often ask them, what are you doing for self-care for yourself? Share that with the class or share that with a neighbor. Um, I did a lot of this before the pandemic, and now I have to be even more intentional about it. And so asking them for their own ideas. What are you doing? I'm reading a book. I'm doing this. I'm, you know, I went to yoga, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, but naming that and naming that as a value and an asset. I think also something that maybe the generation before me was not good at. I love them dearly and I stand on their shoulders. And I don't think they were very good role models of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a generational change. And uh I think because they were the ones running the show, right? I got caught up a lot in that. I have to do 500 things in a million shows and, and where is a badge of honor, how busy I am. But I knew on the inside, the true me was going, I can't keep up. I can't do this. I'm going to burn out. 
And and I did. I'll be very honest. I, I got completely burnt out. Had a sabbatical. Um, thank God. <laughs> um, very, very grateful that I was lucky enough to have a sabbatical. And it gave me some time to pause. And I think the best thing I can do now as a mentor is to model some of the self-care yeah. and say, you know what? Today I got to take the day off because X, Y, and Z is happening in my life. And um, I'm going to have to go take care of myself. Or when a student comes up to me and is like, oh, my God, I'm having so much anxiety and this and this. I mean, every teacher in America is both battling anxiety personally and also the anxiety that our students are bringing in every day. So how do I model self-care? And I'm not perfect at it yet. I am, I am far from it. And I'm trying to be transparent about here's some things that our field used to do and here's how we're changing and we need to keep working in that direction. And how do we, how do we still create this amazing work? But creating this amazing work takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of hours. So how do we create structures? I think we've got to sort of reinvent the structures of theater Mm -hmm. and theater education because you know what? They, they were built on workaholics and really unhealthy practices. And we've, we've got to change. In order to survive, we have to change. Yeah. Yeah. I Thank you for going down that trail with me. I, I yeah. appreciate everything you just shared. And I, I share that with my students all the time, and I'm trying to model mm-hmm. that as well. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think I'm part of that earlier guard that the yeah. work was a badge of honor. And yeah. cost me relationships, cost me... Yeah. You know, I I wanted to leave the field altogether at one point, and yeah. um, it, it 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 I think personally for me, and I I I I totally accredit it to my husband who made me slow down. Yeah, he's like, no, you you're you're coming home tonight to eat dinner. You yes. you can end rehearsal at five and be home for dinner. That's what you're doing tonight, and I needed that. I needed yeah. that because um, I, I I think I would I already had been down the path of burnout and I think I would have gone further and just totally left this field altogether. Yeah. Are you a regular listener of Fed Talks and have always wondered how you can be a guest on the show? Well, this is how you sign up to be a guest on Fed Talks and join the ranks of all the other amazing theater educators that have been on the show. All you do is go to www.fedtalks.com and right at the top of the page, there's a link that says register as a guest. Click that and then you'll be taken to a page where you fill out some information and hit submit. And Once you do, you'll be taken to a scheduling link where you can schedule a time to have an interview with me and share your stories and resources here on the show. You may think, oh, I don't really have something to talk about. Nobody wants to hear my stories. You know what? Every single guest who I have talked to has pretty much said the same thing. And we have a fantastic conversation. And hopefully those stories and what you're hearing keep bringing you back. So I promise you, you have things that people want to hear. And I want to hear from you. www.fedtalks.com and click register as a guest. Stop thinking about it and just do it. I can't wait to talk to you soon. Well, yeah. I want to I want to shift gears a little bit. But again, thank you for going down that trail with me. I, I appreciate yeah. it. Um, talk to me about um, your your work with the the, the very young. Um, we we talk about theater <laughs> for youth and the young people all the time. Yeah, you're the first person I've got on here who's going to talk about that zero to five age range. So, <laughs> talk to me about your work with that and your experiences. Ah, uh, I love this. So, one of my first jobs when I was a teaching artist back in Chicago. So, I went to Webster and then I moved to Chicago for three years. And I just took whatever job I could. Um, I started teaching. And during the day, I didn't have a teaching licensure. So I taught a lot of little ones. And I taught um, preschool at the Jewish Community Center. And they hired me and a bunch of my theater friends because I guess we're pretty entertaining. (laughs) And I think you have to have, I was just talking about this with someone else. You have to have a sense of play to work with very young children. You have to really dig play. And dang it. I would have become a preschool teacher if it paid more than $8 an hour. I probably would have gone down that path. Sadly, our country has not invested in early childhood education, and it is among the biggest mistakes we make in our education policy. We pay our preschool teachers the lowest amount when, in fact, they're doing the most important work. Most things in terms of social development, language development, 
are those brain waves are created, those pathways are created by the age of five. Even racism and prejudice, a lot of those connections are made by the age of five. And here we are, mm. we don't invest in that. And it's the most important work we do. So it was something I loved doing. I was a preschool teacher for two years and I taught ages zero to, I got up to age four. They were they were awesome. They were awesome. I taught toddler school the most, but then I also taught um, parent taught classes where we would come together on a Sunday morning and sing songs and it was just so much fun. So that was my background and I always had a blast. I think the highest compliment I think that I've still ever gotten as a teacher from an administrator was we had a lot of people come and watch us right for their hours to get uh, to become certified teachers and so we had students come from a local university and come watch us and my administrator didn't tell me this till after the day but she said i sent her in today and i said to her you're going to watch two teachers today one has a degree in early childhood education and one has does not i want you to tell me who has the degree in ECE and the person named me and I had an acting degree from a conservatory. And she's like, no, she has a degree in theater. So let's talk about what she's doing. And I just love that she handled that. I mean, it was a huge honor mm -hmm. to me that she had kind of seen that in me. Um, but what we do have as theater educators is presentation skills and the sense of play. So that was my background coming into it. Um, I have attended several conferences in theater, um, international theater. So it's called Ossetej. I don't know if you've ever heard of this organization. Mm -hmm. It's the International Association for Theater for Children and Young People. It's International TYA, Theater for Young Audiences, essentially. It's a fancy French acronym. Every three years, they have an international congress where they come together. The first one I went to was in 2008, and I saw my first theater for the very young piece there. I think most of the world, that was one of our first exposures. And I will shamelessly be honest, I came in and it was it was like for, I think, preschool students, it was called the Green Sheep. And I was rolling my eyes like, oh my God, how did I get tickets to this? This is going to be stupid. It's going to be clowns coming out from boxes or it's, it's going to be stupid. And I'm telling you, that 40-minute show changed my life. I was crying by the end because I thought it was the most beautiful thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, it can be this awesome. And it was like interactive and we were all brought in and the set was around us. It was a farm and we were in the pen in the middle and we were fenced in <laughs> as the audience because little ones, they don't sit in chairs and just look one direction. And the stage was 365 degrees around us. Like already you have me. How clever is that, right? And then the actors came out at the beginning and they met each of the kids and it was interactive and they had puppets flying above us and all these little people were reaching their fingertips up towards the sky. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I was like, this is magic. And then fast forward. So that was in 2008. Uh, then we, we do a tour about every other year at UNC and we were having a harder and harder time booking the tours because of state test testing, mm -hmm. state mandated testing. And of course we, um, we get out in early May in higher education. And now the state testing not went just from March to March into the first couple of weeks of April. So our window, we used to tour the whole month of April. Our window of when we could really reach schools was now down to like two weeks in April. Mm. And uh, you know, if you're gonna do a tour, that's not a lot and we only go twice a week, you know? So I was like, well, so I reached in my bag of theater for the very young um, because they don't yet test three-year-olds. So I thought maybe we can tour to preschools. <laughs> so in 2020, in March of 2020, we had tech. We were ready to go into tech and our show Blue was totally ready to go. Um, and then obviously it couldn't happen. And we put it off a year and we filmed it and sent it out to preschools. But we still haven't done a live piece. So I still have not produ produced a live piece. I, pr I produced a, a piece that was filmed but not performed live. So this year, we're doing another one with All Smiles. We're co-producing it with the Alliance Theater. Like I said, my former student Sam Provenzano is devising it. Uh, it opens there this week and then it's coming to us. And this is a really cool piece. I did this for my sabbatical. I went and helped develop it in uh, Atlanta. And the piece is about, um, I think someone at the Alliance has a child who is on the autism spectrum. 
And there was this, you know, a lot of struggles about how do we read facial cues? And that's a skill just developmentally that children zero to five are working on. Like, what does this face mean? What does this face mean? What is, you know, how do I read that? And how do I make my my way through the world um, with those social cues, right? Um, and then if you add on top of it, um, children who are on the autism spectrum, you have sort of another layer. And a lot of times facial expressions are in context, right? So um, at one point in the first version of the show, I don't know if it's in the final version, they were doing dance face and sort of like funky, like mm, 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 face. And it looks more like a frown, but in the context of dancing and getting your funk on, it looks like a frown, but it's actually someone who's quite happy, right? So how do we read facial cues and how do we read that context that it's in? So uh, my week in Atlanta, they had people from, they're uh, experts in autism and they came and watched our piece and they're like, oh, this is everything that we're trying to work on and how, how do we have different smiles and what do they do and those kinds of things. So it's kind of, they do for the very young. I tell my students is this place of creative drama meets TYA because it's interactive, it's participatory, you don't just put them in the dark and make them come sit in chairs. And it is some of the most creative work I've ever seen. So I saw several pieces at Asatej, the international festival I went to in 2011, 14, and 17. I just saw a whole bunch and I just was like, this is magical. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was the testing in Colorado <laughs> that just kind of <laughs> forced me to do the thing creatively and go, well, who else can we reach? And now I'm just so excited and, um, We've completed one study and my um, research partner, Dr. Uh, Amanda Rudder, who is a professor over in early childhood education, we're beginning our second study. So the first study was about um, doing a pre and a post survey with teachers about what our students' um, physical behaviors and what kinds of words are they using and social emotional skills before and after the show. And just one 50 minute play that they watched on a video screen there was a really good impact of this one show. And so we're like, well, what happens when we do it actually in person? And we do in a pre and a post show workshop, what kind of an impact can we have on very young children? So we're launching our second study now, and we're gonna investigate um, maybe how does play happen and how do social emotional skills and and, um, reading social cues based on facial expressions, what kind of an impact does our not just our show, but our pre and our post show workshop. What impact is that having having in the classroom? And also what impact is it having on the potential for more play activities for early childhood educators that we're interested in? How can we be a stimulus for ECE teachers to use more play in their classrooms? That's that's really cool. I can't wait to, to see what comes of that. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> Um, I don't. I don't know if you are familiar. Do you do you know um, Jed Derryberry? I don't. Um, he's, nope. he's got a, a, a couple of books out. Uh, one is the Courageous Classroom um, that I use with my my students, and the other is um, the Playful Life. And oh, um, cool! And another book. I'm going to totally butcher the title, and I apologize, Jed, if you're listening. Um, it, it's it's about in, using play in your classrooms and then also oh, yeah. in your life. Um, yeah. And it's just really, so you, you made me think of him as you were talking that, that if you don't know, yeah, him, you might want to check you. him out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. that is so exciting. And I, I love that you are, you are part of filling, filling that gap that we have um, in, in educational theater with, with those really little ones. Yeah. With You know, what's weird though, is that in this country, I mean, it's starting to happen now in this country, some theater companies are doing it. It's mostly exploding in Europe, Asia, and Australia. What do those places have in common? Arts funding. They have significantly more arts funding. So our play that we're doing this spring, we have a max audience size of 30 because it's participatory, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the upside is you can do more than one of these shows because our show's only 30 minutes. So I think at the Alliance, a lot of times they do two shows a day. Um, and some of the other theater companies that are doing this. So you can do more than one and they usually have a small cast size and those kinds of things. But in terms of uh, making money, uh, that's where it falls short. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in terms of creativity, I think it's, 
high, high on the charts of the, some of the most creative theater I've ever seen in my entire life from all over the world. So yeah, those are those are the pluses and minuses. But I feel lucky at the university, we do this for our community. We don't charge for tickets or performances. So this is a, a community engagement activity that we do free for our community. So because I'm not tied to the dollar, um, I'm, I, I feel like an obligation to help develop this field and help develop new work um, so that other theaters can use it. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so, so awesome. Hey, theater educators, this is Jimmy Chrisman. If you have ever wondered how you can support the podcast in any way, well, I'm about to tell you. Fed Talks podcast has always been and will always be a free podcast that I put out there for you teachers. I know you don't make a lot of money. I don't make a lot of money as a university professor. But if the podcast is something that has helped you out or that you just really want to find a way to support us, this is how. Visit www.buymeacoffee.com slash fedtalkspc. And there you can make a donation right to the expenses of the show to help offset those costs. I thank you in advance for what you will do. Thank you for those of you who have donated. I appreciate it. And even if you can't make a donation, I still appreciate you. Just continue to listen and continue to share. That website again is www.buymeacoffee.com slash fedtalkspc. Well, talk a little bit about um, what does devising with this age group look like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does that look like? It's cool. Well, here's what they do at the Alliance. So I did not make up any of this stuff. This is all stuff I learned from going to the Alliance that week. What I love, what I love, what I love. You have to have the audience all the time. So what we would do is like, here's our big theme. Sam, the director, would come in and go, okay, I think right now it's looking like this. Someone sends a smile, someone receives it, and they send a smile back, but then they're confused. And then, and she kind of came in with a structure of like, here's what I think maybe it could be. Let's develop X, Y, and Z. What are different kinds of smiles you send to people? And the actors go off and these actors, oh, the key, the key, the key is you have to have actors who are really good at, at being creative and also have a mind towards young people. And they had amazing actors at, at the Alliance. I was just blown away by their creativity. And they go away, they create something, they share it. Sam would go, well, can we tweak it? Can we do it more like this? Let's try it like this. Or here's another layer, now add this on. Or here's another kind of structure that I'm thinking about. We would create maybe 10, 15 minutes worth of material. And then the next day, we'd go try it out with preschool kids. And boom, you do it for an audience because they are the experts. They will tell you what's good. They will tell you what's not good. They will tell you when it gets boring. Hmm. So what I love about theater for young audiences, they're the most honest audience, right? Like when you earn a laugh from them, it is the biggest high because <laughs> it's a lot of work, right? You genuinely so earned it, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we we went to a school a couple days later. Uh, we did one show for three-year-olds, one for four, one for five, something we learned. Three-year-olds were up on their feet participating immediately. Four-year-olds were like, no, we've learned you have to sit on your square and do what you're told. And it was like, wow, in one year, this is what happens, <laughs> is that we have schooled them. And 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 I know, because I was a preschool teacher, I, I know you got to kind of control the chaos, but also there's got to be that space for their exploding creativity, right? And in between shows, these actors were fast, man. They were on it. Maybe we can do it more like this. Okay. We have to give them permission then to get up and move and know they can participate. Okay. So the beginning looks like this and we would just make these like super fast decisions. And then the next group would come in. We tried again. Okay. Let's tweak it and do a little more like this, this, this. And then the five-year-olds would come in and then we had a reflection time. And what I love about Sam, Sam Provenzano, you should definitely interview her for this podcast. Um, she was the most inclusive director I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Everyone was involved in the reflection of every sharing we did, including the sound designer. Um, well, while we were in the classroom, we had a, a composer and then we had a sound engineer, uh, myself, Sam, the actors, the stage manager. Everybody was like, uh, you know, I think this sound, you know, maybe it was a little too loud or this or that. And it was the most incredible thing. And I, I just learned so much by watching Sam. I really, really did. How to be truly inclusive. If everyone's going to be in the space, you honor every voice that's in the room. 
every voice and we don't segregate, well, you're design tech, so you're just here to watch, right? No, you're design tech and you have a different eye and ear than I do. Come and share and create with us, right? So nobody was left on their own. And I, I, that's where theater is its most exciting, right? In the rehearsal room. So that's kind of their devising process. Then when I was at the Alliance, we did it at a school one day. We came up with some ideas. Again, everyone, everyone, everyone involved at the end of the day goes, okay, maybe we can make these changes. Next day, we did it next door at the High Museum. They have like a toddler hour. It's the coolest thing. Um, and it was just a toddler hour. And we just kind of went around. We're like, hi, we're here from next door at the Alliance. We're creating a show. Do you want to bring your babies and little ones up? And we had babies and little toddlers, just little, little tinies. And they came and sat with us. Uh, the autism experts were also there that day watching. And we just got so much input. What worked, what didn't, what was interesting, what can we explore? We heard everybody's ideas. And then the final day, we kind of figured out what's what's a possible new structure, where could it go, those kinds of things. So uh, what I loved about her devising process is immediately doing it with kids and letting them be the experts to push and inspire a lot of the work. And I think a lot of people who do this work, um, particularly in Australia, I know Sam was part of a group that was trained from Australia. That's part of it is that you're constantly in dialogue with very young people. And that is so exciting. A lot of people get overwhelmed by devising. Um, but for theater for the very young, this was their process. And I, I think it was some of the most exciting work I've ever done. It's been great. That's exciting. That's really exciting. I would I would love mm -hmm. to watch that process sometime. That, that's oh, really man. cool. Um, want to shift gears just a little bit, but maybe not, um, to talking a little bit about um, your work with diversity, equity, and inclusion within mm -hmm. theater education, and and mm -hmm. I I would love to even go even more specific with what does this look like with these the very young? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, for our show. Both times we've done the show, the theater for the very young, I don't remember who was in the first one. Um, we've had uh, people with diverse identities on stage for representation. I mean, that's just, mm -hmm. I think theater now is at a place where we go, okay, that's just part of what we do now, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. You also have to have a diverse population to pull from, right? So it's chicken <laughs> versus the egg. Um, when I came to UNC, oh boy, we had maybe three or four black students, maybe three or four Latinx students. And we're a department of like 300. Like that was pretty bad. But we've become intentionally, much more intentional about recruitment and inclusion and those kinds of things. Um, and I like, I did holes my, let's see, 2009. So that was my third year there. I did holes and um, I brought in a black equity guest artist. Uh, we didn't have enough black students for the cast, but I brought in a guest artist. He uh, was a someone who had graduated from our program. He was a great mentor to all of the students. And uh, we purposefully, I think something that's an extra obligation for people who do theater for young audiences is when I do a TYA play show from the University of Northern Colorado, and we tour, we perform in the theater for young people. We are saying very clearly a few things. This is what an actor looks like, and this is what a college student looks like. So as we've become more diverse, something that's been really exciting is that I could do more diverse work. So we've done a lot of bilingual um, theater for young audiences plays. We did Bocon um, my first year there. We've also done Luna. The Transition of Doodle Pequeño, El Viaje de Beatriz. Um, so we've done several of those plays and we have a large Spanish-speaking community in Greeley, which is why I started doing that work in the first place. And the last bilingual play we did was Luna, which is about a, a family of migrant farm workers and the little girl Soledad, she can't make friends because they have to move all the time. Finally, she makes friends and then they have to move and then they have to move, right? And her best friend becomes Luna, the moon, because the moon follows her wherever she goes. We did this one in 2018. We had to decide in 2017. There was a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric 
with the beginning of the Trump presidency. Um, there was a lot of rhetoric that really concerned me. Um, and I think we've seen that rhetoric has turned to action and has turned to violence. Um, and I think there's a there's a direct link between the national rhetoric that we hear and the actions like the shooting in El Paso, some of the shootings just this past weekend with the Asian American community. Um, and again, as a as an activist, as a citizen, I feel that our work must address some of these really, really challenging issues. And people think of theater for young audiences as, you know, cute plays for kids and that it's, you know, Disney or fairy tales or happily ever after and just like really cute and entertaining for the kids. And certainly some of our pieces are. I'm more interested in the socially relevant pieces. Um, so Luna is one of the shows we did. Uh, another one and <laughs> that was the most controversial one we did was um, The Transition of Doodle Bucano. And that play is about um, two friends, Reno and uh, Doodle. And Doodle's dad has just been deported. And so he and his mom have had to move to a new apartment complex. His mom works at like a 7-Eleven store at night. So she's not home. So he's home by himself. Reno comes over and is like, hi, I'm Reno. And it's Halloween night. And so they decide to dress up because it's Halloween. And so they go through the moving boxes and they both put on dresses. And they decide to go trick-or-treating with these dresses on. And then they're bullied for the choices of clothes that they've made. Um, and so Doodle you know, takes off the skirt and is like, oh, my God, da 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 um, Because this was about gender identity. We did this one in 2016. And I, mm. it was so hard to book. We hardly booked any shows. Um, they use the word gay in it. Um, and they use it incorrectly. And the moral of the story is you can't use this term as a derogatory term to someone else, right? And I've heard that in schools all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you're so gay. Why are you so, right? As this like mm -hmm. derogatory term. The word is used three times in the show. First time, all the kids would laugh right along with the bully. Second time, they would laugh and then stop. It happened at every show. And then the third time, silence. Mm -hmm. Because they see, right, the power of theater. It's a greenhouse for empathy. They see the impact of um bullying someone for their gender or sexual identity uh we didn't do a lot of shows that year <laughs> um but the impact i mean the letters we got from the kids i just read read one of the letters to my students yesterday and this kid whose dad had been deported was like i miss my dad so much and he's been taken away and all i want to see is my dad i'm just like doodle all i want is i mean it was just this heartbreaking I just want to hold my arms around my dad's shoulders. I mean, it's, it was like, mm. what? And then at one of the shows, um, we heard from a teacher that there was a kid who was exploring his gender identity and wanted to wear a dress to school the next day after seeing Doodle Pequeño. And his dad said, are you sure? Because maybe some of the kids are going to bully you. And I, you know, I don't want you to have a bad day at school. And the kid literally said, if Reno can do it, so can I. Right? Wow. <laughs> I mean, so this show that was so controversial that people, partners, and I've built these partnerships and these relationships over, you know, over 10 years now would just be like, oh, thanks so much for thinking of us. But my population, my school, I would just get in a lot of trouble. Thanks so much. But hard pass this year. We can't do that kind of material at our school. So even though we had the fewest amount of performances for that tour, I would argue it had the most impact. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great show. Like people in theater are always like, we're so important and da da da. And I feel like I'm always the realist being like, you know what, y'all? It's not brain science that we're doing here. You know, we're not doing brain surgery. Come on. We're not saving people's lives. And then we did Doodle for Kenyo. And I was like, holy cow, are we having an impact on the world? <laughs> I didn't know my work could do. I mean, it just—it still gives me chills to this day. It's—it's it's incredible what the impact we can have on young people. That's great. That's great. And I—I I, 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 here you just—you triggered something in my own brain with my own 
research that I, I do, I'm, my, my, I'm digging into trauma informed practices for yeah. theater teachers and yeah, good. Um, the, the, the thing that I, in my own research, I found is that, that so many teachers consider themselves, um, um, counselors for their students and, mm -hmm. um, they know that they are not trained in that, but they are going to still do that stand in role. And, and so many of them that I've interviewed for my, 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 my writing has the theater is therapy. They say that. And, but then the next breath they say, but it's not. And I'm like, well, right. what are you doing? What are you doing with yeah. that? And, yeah. and I, I love what you just shared because it's, you didn't go into that process to, to, to help right. with that, the, those children's process along the way in their journey. You let the art do its work. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a great phrase, the art do its work. And you know, it's so interesting. I got very strong responses from the adults who saw the show, which you know, a lot in, in my theater for young audiences class, we talk a lot about gatekeepers, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of gatekeepers, they probably have kids at their school who are struggling with their gender identity and they were not allowed to see Doodle Pequeño, right? Because there's a lot of protection over children. Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered in my 20 plus years of teaching is um, children can actually handle way more than we think they can. And I'm not saying that that means that they should, but <laughs> they're going through a lot of tough things. And now in this pandemic time, they're experiencing a lot, you know? And I think I love Michael Rhodes' phrase. I don't know if you've read his book, Theater for Community Conflict and Dialogue, mm -hmm. but he has a great phrase in there that I try to teach my students, which is this work is not therapy, but it can be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And that's something I talk about. So these teachers who would go and see Toodle Pequeño, they would come marching up to me after the show, and half of them were like, how dare you? And I got a, an earful about, how dare you do that for third graders, and ba-da-da-da-da. And then the other half came up to me and said, thank you so much. We have a kid in my class who's struggling with gender identity. I don't know what to do, but it's there. It's in our classroom, and I don't know. And now, it's exactly what you said. Let the play do the work. Now, instead of talking about this kid, I can talk about Reno in this play. And I can use your play as an example to have some conversations about how we treat each other with empathy and respect and kindness in our classroom. And I don't have to point out the kid who's struggling with whatever, you know, this identity. And it, you know, doesn't have to just be gender or sexuality, but it can be, you know, mm -hmm. a bazillion mm -hmm. different identity vectors, right? So let the play do the work, you know, let's, let's have that conversation. And if we have this parallel universe that we can point to, and we're talking about these characters, that can help us identify um, how we can be more empathetic and kind and understanding to one another in our classroom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to be so respectful of your time, but I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> I'm really enjoying this conversation so much. Um, but I want to give you a moment to to plug your your programs, uh, your undergrad and your and your master's program. Great. Thank you so much. What a joy it's been. I've never been on a podcast. I'm like obsessed with podcasts. So first of all, thank you to you for doing this. And um, I'm so excited. There's a theater education podcast specifically. That's so cool. Good for you. And you're asking great questions. It's a niche market, I know. But thank you so much for saying that. I, when you said you did one, I was like, of course there's a podcast on theater ed. How have I not looked for that yet? Um, so thank you to you for, for the service you're doing. Um, so yeah, at the University of Northern Colorado, we have now a BFA. It's new. Yay. After many, many years, we finally have a BFA in acting, musical theater, and design tech. We have a BA in theater studies and theater education. Those are our undergraduate programs. Um, we have a very competitive program. We audition thousands and thousands of kids a year. Uh, 20 make it into musical theater, 20 make it into acting. So it's a highly selective program. And what I love about that for our theater educators is I think the best educators are also the best trained artists. So our theater education students get the same training as these actors who are going off to LA or um, New York to have careers in their future. So I love that our mm -hmm. theater ed students are getting that same level of high quality training. And then our graduate program is an MA in theater education. And it really trains students to be, um, to be artists 
scholars and teachers. We try to train all three different areas. So students take classes online during the school year, just one class in the fall, one class in the spring, and then three classes during the summer here at UNC. We also have an optional online uh, class to help get you ready for graduate school. For a lot of people, writing is really, really hard, including me. I went to a conservatory. I took tap dance. I did not take many English classes. So I needed help on my writing. And so we also offer some writing classes to help with your scholarship. And I think this writing helps with critical thinking and with advocacy. So some of our classes, I teach history, philosophy, and advocacy in theater education. We all have to be like it or not. If you want to be a theater educator, you have to be an advocate. So that's one of the classes we have. And then during the summer, I teach a devising class. So we create original work that is based on a social issue theme. Students also take classes in directing, devising, and acting. And then they choose a project where they kind of narrow their focus and they do some writing about that. And they eventually do a writing project and take or take comp comps, uh, a comp test on uh, whatever their chosen area of expertise becomes. So it's really custom to, I think grad school is like, whatever serves you, like here's a whole bunch of cool stuff. And then you choose what stirs your passion. So for most of my students, they did not have any devising experience in undergrad. So they're getting their first experience and a lot of them do devising projects uh, for their for their final um, capstone projects in our program. So it's pretty exciting. Um, we're we're ambitious and um, I'm really excited now that we're post pandemic that we can be back in person together. Um, it's it's just a boy a joy to be back in the classroom with these students. That's awesome. I my my master's program was very similar for. Um, oh really? And I was teaching. Uh, I was still in the classroom, and and mine was a, a three week in the summer, and then I took some classes during mm -hmm. the year. Um, mm -hmm. So that it it worked with my life, and and it was very yeah. much like what you were talking about. I got to tailor where I yeah. felt my deficiencies were and, and yeah. mine was tech theater. And so yeah. I, I took lots of classes in, in design and, and sound production yeah. and all kind of cool things that helped. So that's awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. And um, look at you. Now you have a podcast. Here I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, well, my last two questions are the ones that I ask everyone on the show. And the first right. is what is a resource that you are currently using or have used that is a must have for theater teachers? Okay, so a while ago I gave you some options, but I want to throw out a new, new option <laughs> that I was just looking at the other day since we talked so much about theater for the very young. Um, I'm going to look up, okay, there's a book by Tim Webb called Sensory Theater, How to Make Interactive, Inclusive, Immersive Theater for Diverse Audiences by a founder of Oily Cart Theater. So Oily Cart Theater, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're in the UK, and they are some of the earliest presenters of work for many different populations. Um, theater for the very young, and also theater for children, um, either on the autism spectrum or with um, physical disabilities. In the UK, theater for young audiences came out of the experimental theater movement. In the United States, theater for young audiences came out of um, uh, social work, right? So they have very different backgrounds. And if you look at the work of Oily Cart, they sit down and go, what if we created a piece of theater for children who are deaf and blind? Could we do that? And they do. And they create these magical sensory theater pieces that rely on vibration, on sound, taste, touch. They had one piece that was in a swimming pool. Again, we would never do this in the United States because nobody has any funding for this, where it's like three or four kids who are um, paraplegics and they're in a swimming pool and the piece is above them and it's an aerial theater piece and it's above them. I mean, they just do such mind-blowing work. And I'm so thrilled he finally wrote a book about it. And so... I wish I had more time in my theater for young audiences class because I just got this book. Um, but I'm throwing that out for other people. If you want to create just the most mind blowing, cool, cool theater, check out, check out um, Oily Cart Theater and also check out Tim just wrote a book about his process. I was lucky enough with Theater for Young Audiences USA. We had him come and do a master class with us one year. 
and it just blew my mind. But now he's written a whole book about it. So get that book. It literally just came out a few weeks ago. So go get it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then my final question is, what are your parting words of wisdom for that new theater teacher entering the field or that veteran just needing an encouraging word right now? For both. I think it's what we were talking about earlier. It's self-care. You won't last unless you take care of yourself. And um, passion is cool and passion burns fiercely and quickly. And if we don't, A, take care of ourselves and B, create the structures in which we are able to take care of ourselves. Because it's, I think the self-care thing it was like, it's a for-profit capitalistic thing, sorry, but like, just go get a pedicure, go get a, you know, go get a massage. And I'm like, God damn it. Excuse my language. God dang. I have gotten a massage and a pedicure and I meditated and I'm still burnt out and tired. And the thing was, I had not built structures yeah. in my career that allowed me to have a healthy sense of balance. And that healthy sense of balance does not take away anything. If you're not doing eight shows a year and you're healthier and happier doing one show a year, you'll get so much more from that experience than if you did eight shows and you're barely crawling. And I mean, the part of the reason why I had to leave my, I loved my job in nonprofit theater, but I went and got uh, acupuncture and the acupuncturist told me like, she only had money to make off of me. She said, you can come here every week and I can keep poking you or you can change your life. But right now you're giving yourself an autoimmune disease. So you either keep coming here or you have to change your life. And that was the moment that I went, okay, I can't. That that was a truth teller, you know, and I went, I can't do it this way anymore. And then I went somewhere else and I created a lot of the same burnout patterns and that's on me. It's on yourself. So you have to create the structures. You have to say no when you have to say no. Less is more. Take care of yourself. And what real self-help or self-care is taking care of yourself. But unless you have those structures in place, you have no space for self-care. It's the daily choices we make. It's it's the daily things to take care of ourselves, not just the one-off pamperings. It's the, no. what are we doing to constantly take care of our bodies, our minds, our, our hearts. Um, to, yep. to Do you have water? Did you eat healthy? Did you get sleep? I mean, it's those like three basic things, yeah. but like water, healthy food and sleep do so much for you. Yeah. And if you're at rehearsal till 11 o'clock at night and then you got to grade papers and then be at a school at 730 the next morning, that your passion cannot override your body's capacity to live. Those are great words right there. I'm going to, that's a quote I'm pulling out for this episode. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Gillian, thank you so much. I know it took us a while to finally make this happen, but I'm so glad it did. Oh my gosh. Jimmy, I'm so glad you're doing this and I have to go in. Um, I, I'm so sorry. This podcast got off my plate last semester. I think I got busy and I was traveling for, I also took my daughter to Ethiopia. So I went to Atlanta and then I went to Ethiopia. So I had a lot of travel. And so I'm so glad we got to reconnect and do this. And I, I love that you're doing it and your, your questions are so thoughtful and you just seem like, how have we not met? I know. <laughs> I know. I'm hoping our paths will cross again. Yeah. Um, do you go to AATE or TYAUSA? Um, it has been a while since I've been to AATE, but uh, my okay. plan is to get back involved and, and get to those. Oh, good. Um, Aber if Aberchusett is listening, she'll be very happy to hear I just said that. So, um, yeah. But yeah. Please come on back. Uh, this summer, AATE is in Seattle, mm -hmm. which is so cool. And TYAUSA, I'm actually, I'll plug this as well. Um, I just, right before your call, I was on a call with um, Sarah, who's the executive director of TYUSA. We are going to do um, a college and university kind of research um, support group, our special interest group that I will be um, kind of chairing and getting started at our in-person conference. And then there's also going to be an online one. And the online option, you know, you don't have to pay for a plane ticket or a hotel or food or anything like that come online. We're going to do some really cool things. And I'm going to be sharing a lot of my research from both my study last year and also my study this this year. Um, so come online, join us with TYUSA. Um, there's online or in-person options. And the people you meet there are just 
so brilliant and so amazing. And it just, it fills that cup back up at the end of your school year. So come and join the fun with TYA USA or AATE this summer. All right. Teachers, you heard from Gillian first. Check them out and be there. Gillian, again, thank you so much for joining me. It was, it was lovely oh chatting God. with you. And I wish you all the best with the rest of your year. Oh, my gosh. Best of luck to you. It was such a joy. And I hope I get to meet you in person. Me too. Me too. And that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit our website at www.fedtalks.com where you can find all of the past guest pages with their valuable resources and lots more information on the website for you. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast provider so that it automatically populates in your podcast app so you don't have to miss a single episode. Please rate us, leave us those five stars, review us, tell us what you're liking, and more importantly, share the podcast with all of those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. You can email me at jimmy at fedtalks.com and I will always respond. I love interacting with you on there. Visit us on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks, Facebook, the Fed Talks page, and on Instagram, Fed Talks Podcast. Teachers, I appreciate you. I love you. And I am so grateful for all that you're doing and the light that you're bringing to this world. Continue to change those students' lives and continue to make a difference in the world. Join us next week for a new episode. I'm your host, Jimmy Chrisman. Have an amazing week.